Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let me ask you this question. What is your favorite Christmas song? What is your favorite Christmas song? Let me phrase it this way. If you only had one Christmas song to listen to for the rest of your life, what would that song be? What is your favorite Christmas song? Is it, let me just throw some ideas out there. Is it, All I Want for Christmas is You by none other than Mariah Carey. I see a few hands, I see a few hands. Is it Last Christmas by Wham? I don't know who Wham is. I, I don't know who Wham is. I'm just, I was born in the 90s or 80, I don't know when I was born. Is it uh, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande? Nobody, all right. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas by Michael Bubbly. Is it Mistletoe by Justin Bieber? You know, well, these top, these five songs I listed were Spotify's top Christmas songs of all time, according to Spotify. And you might be wondering, what is the pastor's favorite Christmas song? Is it on this list? Absolutely it is. In our household, in the Martinez household, Christmas doesn't begin for my wife and I until we play All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah. Come on, somebody. That is the greatest Christmas song ever. I don't care what anybody says. Well, actually, it was my favorite Christmas song up until this week. It was. I have a new favorite Christmas song, and it's titled The Magnificat by Mary, the mother of Jesus. The original diva, right? Mary the originally. That that is my favorite Christmas song. Today we're going to be starting a brand new series, series titled The Lyrics of Christmas. And we're going to be taking a look at some songs that were sung around the birth of Christ. And we're going to be looking today specifically at Mary's song, uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, and I, I honestly can tell you, it is now my favorite song. There's so much depth to this song that she sings. There's so much theology, so much beauty, so much encouragement for each and every one of us. So if you have your Bibles, will you open uh, with me to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 56. 46 through 56. Um, just as a recap, um, uh, you know, Mary uh, gets a, a visit from an angel. She's, she's been told that she's going to carry the Messiah. She goes and visits um, her cousin Elizabeth. And, and Elizabeth, when, when Mary and Elizabeth meet uh, Elizabeth's um, uh, baby in her womb, John the Baptist, uh, he leaps with joy. And, and, and Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And, and so really that's kind of like a confirmation to Mary that, hey, this is true. I truly am holding the Messiah. I'm going to be holding the Messiah in my belly. And uh, so then Mary breaks out into song. She breaks out in 
uh, into praise, and, and, uh, and this is what we're going to be studying today. But before we dive into the text um, and just look at it, I want to stop and just pause our hearts and pray and ask God to bless us. God, we thank you for your word. We love your word. We trust your word. We're edified by your word. And I just pray that today you would encourage us with your word, with this song, that beautiful song that Mary sung unto you. May this be our song as well, this holiday season and for the rest of our lives. God, help us see things in the passage that are going to be helpful to us. We thank you. We honor you. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's look at verse 46. Let's begin there. Verse 46 and verse 47, it says this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, what we have here is Hebrew poetry, actually. And it's a type of Hebrew poetry called parallelism parallelism and basically verse 46 and verse 47 are saying the same things just worded a little differently and so really what um, Mary is saying here when she says that her soul magnifies the Lord it refers to this deep personal praise that comes from within inside a person and that's what it refers to it's a sincere deep, genuine praise that is coming from inside of Mary. It's not something that's forced upon Mary. Uh, it's not something that's external. Uh, her, her worship, Mary's worship, is coming from the inside out. It's coming from her heart. It's coming from her soul. And I kind of often think about uh, worship sometimes and as we sing to God, although worship is a lot more than singing to God, I think about a lot of the times how we, we kind of have to, in our culture, right, we have to have the right environment so that we can be able to worship God, right? Like a lot of times, like, man, we have to have the lights dimmed perfectly to worship God. We have to uh, have the right amount of fog machine and lights and lasers and tasers and whatever to worship God, right? Like, like the worship team has to sing my favorite song or else I'm not singing at all, right? Now, here's the thing. All those lights and fuck, like, that's totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But a lot of the times, the truth is that we depend on some of those external things so that we can worship. But true worship is not forced. True worship is not dependent on external things. True worship comes from inside. It comes from the heart, now, the question was, is what was inside Mary's heart that, that caused her to worship in such a deep, deep way? What was inside her heart? What was inside her soul? What saturated Mary's life? And the answer is this. It was the word of God. The word of God saturated Mary's life so that when she sang unto the Lord, it was rooted in scripture. Now, you're just going to have to believe me because we're not going to, I don't have a lot of time to go through all of this, but uh, I'd encourage you. I was debating whether to like to really get into this or not, but uh, I really encourage you to look, look at this passage and look how, at how many times and where Mary quotes other Old Testament passages in her song. I'll just give you some examples though. 
uh, through her song, through, through verse 46 and 55, Mary quotes uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, especially verses 1 through 10, it's a song sung by another mom, uh, Hannah, uh, who was praising God for her son Samuel. Uh, God gave her her son Samuel, and he was, uh, she was praising God for him, and she was saying, do, do whatever you, you want, God. He's yours. And if you look at the so, uh, the, both of their songs and you compare them, man, like it's almost identical, the same themes. It's a really interesting thing. But as Mary goes through her song, she quotes Psalm 34. She quotes Psalm 45, uh, Isaiah 45. She quotes um, uh, uh, Psalm 136, Genesis 30, Psalm 126, Psalm 11, Psalm 103. Throughout Mary's song, you hear echoes of the word of God all around. Again, I, again, I, we don't have a lot of time to go through that, but you just got to believe me on that. But her worship was rooted in the word of God. Mary was a young teenager who was saturated with God's word. And she was saturated with God's word to the point that it created this worship in her heart and in her life. You see, Mary's worship came from deep within her heart, not just her lips. She wasn't just paying lip service to God. It was a sold out, devoted adoration to God. Now, I want to talk to the ladies just for a second here this morning. You see, a lot of the times when we go through the scriptures, a lot of the times we cover male Bible, uh, male characters in the Bible, right? A lot of the times, Paul, Peter, and Jesus, you know, all, all of these, uh, David, and, and there's all these uh, guys that we cover, and very few times we focus on the women of the Bible. But man, you look throughout scripture and there's tons and tons of, tons of examples of godly women in the Bible. And so ladies, I just want to encourage you today to be like Mary, to, to saturate your life with the word of God. Saturate your entire life with the word of God. Now, I know sometimes it can be hard, especially if you're a mom with kids, and, and man, we're living that right now. Like, we have no time for nothing right now. Hey, maybe you can't read a chapter a day. It's okay. Can you read a verse of the day? Hey, maybe you can't even read the verse of the day because, man, kids are crying and they're going every. Can you meditate on one word of the day? Meditate on just one word of that verse of the day. Whatever you have to do, but saturate your life because so much depends on it, ladies. Your, your marriage depends on you being saturated with the word of God. You see, just because the man is the head of the house, according to the scriptures, doesn't mean that we're always going to be spiritually strong. We're going to have those moments in our lives as men that, man, we just need our wives to be that strong spiritual person in our lives. And we, we're going to need you. And so a lot depends on it. Your kids depend on the fact that you're saturated with the word of God. 
You see, Mary learned it from somewhere and from someone, didn't she? Like someone was taking her to the synagogue. Like someone was, someone was exposing Mary to the scriptures, to the reading of the Old Testament. Someone was being an example to Mary. And so ladies, being saturated with the word of God impacts our little ones. And most importantly, it impacts your life. How you worship Jesus, how you please God, how you serve God, how you live for him, how you sacrifice for him. Saturate your life with the word of God. And so Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Latin for magnifies is magnificat. And so that's where the title comes from, from the Latin there. And so the word means to praise or to exalt. And so Mary is just praising and exalting God with everything that she has. And then she gives us some reasons why she's praising God the way she is. She says, notice this, and my spirit rejoices in my God, in God, my Savior, my Savior. She is praising God because God is her Savior. And not only is God her Savior, God has chosen her womb as the place that will store Jesus, the one who's going to die on the cross and save her from her sins. And so she's just amazed at, at this. You see, Mary had the word of God spiritually in her, but she also had the word of God physically in her, as the Bible calls Jesus the word of God. And so she's praising God for this. Now, she's praising God that, that God is her Savior. Now, let me ask you this question. It might sound like a silly question, but it really isn't. Why does Mary need a Savior? Like, why, why does Mary need a Savior? Like, why does Mary call God her Savior? Because she's a sinner, right? Just like you and me. Well, here's the thing. In 1854, the Roman Catholic Church formally accepted the teaching that Mary was sinless. It's called the Immaculate Conception. And so, according to this false teaching, Mary, uh, from her very conception in her mother's womb, she, preserved, she was preserved free from all original sin. And so Mary, according to the Roman Catholic Church, was sinless. But why would she need a savior if she's sinless? This doctrine was in biblical, especially when you look at passages like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all but one, Christ. Christ never sinned, and he was perfect. And so I just want you to be aware of that. You see, because a lot of the times we, we hear people say, well, uh, Christianity and Roman Catholicism are essentially the same thing. 
Have you ever heard people say that? I mean, we pretty much believe the same things. No, it's not even close. We're, we're not even in the same playing field. It's completely, it's a totally different religion. Christianity and Catholicism are worlds apart. You see, Roman Catholicism says, do. You have to do all of these things. Christianity says it's already done by the work of Christ on the cross. Roman Catholicism says you got to have faith plus something. Faith plus baptism. Faith plus good works. Faith plus the sacraments. Faith plus all of this, right? Christianity says it's faith alone and Christ alone. So just be careful, be aware. I just want to point that out as it came up in the passage. I want to point you to just an article. If you're interested in knowing some of the differences between Roman Catholicism and Christianity, uh, I want to uh, give you a website here. It's, uh, it's, it's by my professor at Phoenix Seminary. His name's Wayne Grudem, and it's waynegrudem.com. So Wayne, like Wayne's World. I don't know if you guys remember that, but Wayne, G-R-U-D-E-M.com. And if you click on articles, if you click on articles and you scroll down about a quarter of the way, um, you're going to see an article that's, that says uh, differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics, if, if you're interested in that. I think it's very, uh, very helpful. But anyway... So Mary then gives further reasons why her soul magnifies the Lord. Verse 48, it says this, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Isn't that awesome? So, so Mary begin, continues to praise Jesus, and one of the reasons, or God, and one of the reasons she says is because he has looked on my humble estate. Mary was young, uneducated, possibly illiterate. She has low social status. I mean, she was from Nazareth. If, if you remember uh, in, in the Bible, um, Jesus tells Philip, hey, Philip, come and follow me. And Philip says, okay, Jesus, I'm going to go follow you, but let me, let me tell Nathaniel first. And he goes over and tells Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, he tells Nathaniel, hey, I finally found Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel res- respond? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And that's where Mary was from. Nothing good came out from Nazareth. Yet God lovingly looked on Mary's humble state and chose her to bear the savior of the world. And look what he says in verse 40. She she says in verse 49 that he has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. What are those things that Mary is, what is she talking about? What, What are those great things that God has done for Mary while he saved her? He's, he's, he's her savior, but notice that she talks about his holy name, that, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God is pure, no sin in him whatsoever. Yet he chose a sinner like Mary to carry Jesus in her womb. 
That's such a great and beautiful thing that he's done for her. That God didn't have to go that route. God didn't have to choose a sinner like her because he's so holy, but he did. And she's so mind blown. I, I can't believe that a holy God would choose me a sinner. What a great and beautiful thing that is. Now, let me ask you two questions, church. One rhetorical and one real. Here's a rhetorical question. Didn't God choose us despite being nobodies? Didn't God choose you and I? Just, and we're, who are we? We're, we're nobody. First Corinthians chapter one, it's not on the screen, but it says this. It says, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to, uh, to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human beings might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We weren't powerful, we weren't noble, yet God chose us. God chooses the nobodies of this world and uses them for his glory. Now let me ask you the real question. What great things has God done for you? That, that, that create in you a song of praise and a song of worship. What great things has God done in your life? And I don't even need to give examples because you know what that is. How, what great things has God done? How has he come through in your life when you least expected it. When you saw there was no way, when you're like, man, this is impossible. I'm never going to get out of this situation. How did God come through? What great things has he done for you, for your family, for your kids? And ultimately, if you're a believer in Christ, the greatest thing he's ever done for us was give us salvation. And that alone that alone, that God sent his one and only son to die for us. That great work alone, man, that creates in us a spirit of worship and adoration to God. Mary, what she does then is she shifts the reasons for her praise. She first praised God for what he's done for her. Now he's going to praise God for his character and who he is. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. Mary praises God for God's mercy. 
Now, what is the difference between grace and mercy? Have you ever thought about, well, we use grace and mercy, but what is the difference between grace and mercy? Let me give you an illustration. Those of you that have kids, or have had kids before, maybe they're a little older, but let's say that your kids, whether they're young or, or they're, old, they're, little, they're like teenagers, they decide to talk back to you, right? They, 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 they start to give you some lip. They start to talk back to you. Now, what do they deserve? What do they deserve because they're talking back to you and they're being all nasty? Well, they deserve the wrath of God, obviously, right? I mean, that's the, that's the only thing. Yes, they do. Amen to that. The wrath of God. You know, they, they deserve to, to, to be grounded or they can't play outside. There's some kind of consequences for talking back, right? But let's say that um, your kid talks back to you and, and, um, and you know, you, you have a conversation. Hey, you can't be talking to me this way. Like, you know, I'm your parent and, you know, you kind of do the whole thing. And, and uh, then he, he or she asks you, like, you know, um, am I grounded like, am I grounded? Now, do they deserve to be grounded? Absolutely they do, right? But you, out of mercy, decide not to ground them and not to punish, for, punish them for what they've done. Now, as you're having that conversation and you tell them, hey, you're, you're not grounded, it's okay. Although you deserve to be grounded, you're not grounded. Then they ask you, well, then can I go outside and play with my friends? And you, because you're just a gracious parent, say, absolutely. You can go, you can go and uh, play with your friends. And that's the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Your kid, if they talk back, what do they deserve? some kind of consequence, right? Being grounded or whatever it is. But grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. You parents, if you let your kids go play after they ground, they don't deserve to go play. They deserve to be grounded, but out of your grace, you gave them something you don't deserve. And that's the difference between grace and mercy is mercy is God not giving us what we deserve and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And so Mary praises God for his mercy upon her life. Now, let me ask you this, church. What did we deserve? How has God shown us his mercy upon our life? What did we deserve? Well, the truth is that we deserved prior to Christ wrath. No one talks about that anymore at church. Judgment, condemnation, death, hell. That's what we deserved because we were in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, didn't give us what we deserve. He was gracious and gave us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, freedom. Redemption, hope, joy, eternal life through his son Jesus that he sent to earth. And so Mary praises God for his mercy. 
Then she also praises him for his strength. In verse 51, she says, he has shown his strength with his arm. She actually connects strength and justice together here. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sends away empty. She praises God for his strength and for his justice, meaning that God has the power to make all things right, that God in the end wins. And in the end, you and I, because we are in Christ, we also win as well. If Christ is for us, then who can be against us? You see, no sin will go unpunished, church. No sin done to any of God's children will go unpunished. God sees all the injustice, injustice that you face. He sees that. And a lot of times when there's been injustice done to us, we want to take things in our own hands, right? Like we want to get revenge. We want to make things right in our strength. We, we want to even the scales. But what does the word of God say? Romans 12. He says, beloved, never avenge yourself. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God's the one who's going to have vengeance, not us. He says, to the contrary, in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, kill him with kindness. Don't take revenge. Justice is not for us to carry out. That's God's job. He has the power to do that. So God, so Mary praises God for his mercy, for his strength, and for his justice, that he's a just God. And all of those things are realized in Jesus, in the coming of Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and finally at one point in his second coming, when he makes all things right, his final justice. And then lastly, Mary then ends her song by praising God for his faithfulness. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. When Jesus was born, it was about 2,000 years that have passed since God made a promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, where he was going to, through Abraham, through Abraham's lineage, bless the entire people of the world. It's been 2,000 years since God promised Abraham that. It was 400 years since God even spoke to people. 400 years where God didn't send any prophets, 400 years of silence where God never spoke to anybody. God just went silent for 400 years. And out of nowhere, at the perfect time, 
God sent his son, Jesus. At the perfect time, God sent Jesus to invade earth. God didn't forget about the covenant with Abraham. God didn't forget about the promises that he made to Abraham 2,000 years ago. He was waiting for the right time to send the one who would fulfill the covenant promises of God. So what does that say about God's character? It says that God is faithful. That if God said he will do something, he will do. That God is a covenant-keeping God. He will keep his promises. He never fails. God is faithful all the time and forever. And if God was faithful in your life in the past, he's going to be faithful today and he's going to be faithful in the future. And, And that is a cause for us to worship him with everything that we have. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. If I could really summarize this message in one single thought, it's this. It's that our response to the incarnation is adoration. That our response to the coming of Christ is worship. It's adoration. So let me ask you to do something. Will you make this song your your favorite song this Christmas season? And how great he's been to you. That he saved you from your sins. Will you make that your song this Christmas season? Will you sing about the great things he's done in your life? The places he's pulled you from. The situations he's taking you out of. Will you sing about his mercy? That he didn't give you what you deserve? Will you sing about his strength? Have you ever experienced the strength and the power of God in your life? Will you sing about his justice and his faithfulness? Will you you make this your song? I know it's my song. God has been great to me. God has been good to me. And God has saved me from the pit. May you just worship God this Christmas season. May you not get distracted with everything that happens, with the gifts and all, those are great things. But the true meaning of Christmas is this, that Jesus came to save sinners. That's it. Then we're to worship him with everything that we have. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, 
please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.